So welcome back to Hit Refresh Podcast. On today's Saturday special guest episode, we have with us Nate Jones. He's a Warwick-based singer-songwriter and a Grammy ballad recording artist. His song Safe As We Can is listed on the official ballot for the 2019 Grammy Awards by the Recording Academy in two different categories, which is the best rock performance and the best rock song for the musical composition. He started playing guitar when he was 18 and then found a second home with the drums at the age of 20. His brand new book, Permission to Create, Embrace Your Art and Unleash Your True Potential is the number one bestseller on Amazon in three different categories. which is the world's first one of a kind album in a book a musician a multi-instrumentalist a best-selling author a npvca certified pole vault coach a fellow host of the podcast cerebral revolution with Nate Jones welcome Nate we are so glad to have you thank you thank you Tahas it's it's great to be here yeah so Yeah, so this is Hit Refresh and we are basically a podcast for students by students. So it's just to inspire students to take different uh, career options and just have some fun. So let's start with how you got into music. So as we like as I read about you that you were a you were pursuing your bachelor's of degree in marketing in your University of Rhode Island. So how did you go from there and you've also done many jobs while you were in college and outside Uh, after college so how did that come and then you started pursuing uh, music full time well when i got to college i was just really excited to experience it all and to get out of the cultural box that i grew up in and to move to a new sort of way of interacting socially with people um at my high school there were no girls so it was very difficult for me to gain uh the necessary social interactions i needed and i started exploring in college different ways of expressing myself because in high school i was really focused on sports and i was always like a smaller kid and i wanted to be strong and fast and be athletic and prove myself and when i got to college i sort of realized okay the fastest kid at my high school is like the slowest kid at college so it's like athletics mm-hmm. kind of went out the door and i still pursued mm-hmm. physical fitness on my own but i started playing the guitar because this girl rebecca that i dated she had a guitar and she was learning and i picked it up and i kind of just went and just instantly yeah. fell in love and i never planned on becoming a professional musician um my dad actually was a rock and roll drummer so we always had drums in the house growing up but i never played them and uh i i i look back now and it's kind of like i think we all go through this where you realize oh yeah there are these little signs that were indicating what my future was going to be before i was even consciously aware of it and um you know i worked jobs delivering food i was doing any odd job i could any way that i saw that i could do the least amount of work and make the most amount of money yeah. that's what that's what i was after because i was just i had this broke college student mindset so yeah um yeah and then eventually it just really took off and i started you know i'm not proud of this but i started kind of skipping classes and not really focusing on my work too much and and really focusing yeah. on the guitar cuz it was bringing me joy and ultimately that that worked out because I was building yeah, a absolutely. skill this whole time that eventually I was able to monetize. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. So uh, I've also read that Hey Hey My My by Neil Young was your first performance like back in 2016 in an open mic uh, event. So and I've also read, especially because I heard in a podcast that you also said that you were not too comfortable with your own singing voice. And so like, how did you make the transition? Because an open mic is like, for me at least, like I have played an instrument and I used to sing, but I could never imagine myself going in an open mic and performing. Because And because I know that you kind of had the same feeling about your singing. So how did you transition to that? Well, interesting. Um, I wish there was like some magical answer where <laughs> everything just clicked and I had this aha moment, but it's, yeah. it's actually more it's more beautiful than that. It's more real than that. I, I learned to fall in love with the sound of my own voice and to understand how I could use my voice to create beauty and harmony in my life where before I used to wake up and look at my cell phone first thing in the morning. And I was allowing my day to start with all the vibrations that other people were putting out into the world, positive, negative. I was just like lost. And when I started singing, it, it started to, I would do it in private in my room, just playing the guitar. And I used to sit there and say, Oh, I, I wish I could sing. I wish I could sing. But it's kind of like if a baby said, I wish I could walk, like you're not going to learn to walk just by wishing you just have to do it yeah. and fall a bunch of times and, and get better. And, singing is is such a naturally human thing to do which is which is why anyone does it because we can and yeah. and we enjoy hearing it when it's really nice so i think it's kind of like if you enjoy anything you have to work at it to get a, a little bit better at it and what's beautiful about my process is that i realized that you know i'm, I'm not going to change my voice if yeah. if anything, I my voice will change the more I sing and practice being able to, to sing in different ways, but I have to accept myself. And yeah. I think, you know, when you say that, like, you can't imagine yourself going to an open mic, it's kind of like, you know, understanding that the people in the audience aren't there to judge you. They're yeah. there because they're hoping maybe one day they'll be able to do it. So watching your example of just pushing past your fear is going to help other people because let's say I'm not the greatest musician in the world. Right. And, but because I went up there and played, even if it wasn't perfect, someone else who might have a song that could change the world, they might have the confidence to go sing that song yeah. and play and record that song. And my example yeah. could forge a path for somebody else to create their art. So that's kind of yeah. the theme of, what I've been cultivating in my life is just setting an example for people and letting them know, hey, it's it's okay to not be perfect because even Beethoven or Mozart, like they didn't start out amazing at at music. You, yeah. you have to really work at it. And for me, it that act was a courageous act of, okay, here I am in my hometown with a guitar, like prime opportunity to get rejected, but like what if I, what if I soar instead of falling yeah. short? What if, what if it really goes well? And then it did. And I actually got offered to play 
like one Saturday a month at that particular place. So it turned into I'm showing up and I'm getting a free drink to play the guitar. But I wasn't doing it for the free drink. You know, I was doing it because yeah. I loved it. But then when they yeah. said, hey, we'll pay you $250, I said, what? <laughs> like, I've been, are you kidding me? I've been, I've been sitting in my underwear in my basement doing this for years. And, and now you're going to pay yeah. me. Of course, I'll be there for that. And so once I realized yeah. that I could not only do what I love, work on myself, overcome these limiting beliefs and challenges that I'm not good enough, but I could also get paid for it and sustain my ability to keep it going. That was like, okay, I just never looked back once that happened. No, then that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. Like your act could like inspire someone and like they will think that, hey, like I should, I can do this. And that is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. So yeah. So another thing which I read was that which I found amazing and I loved this line that you wrote is that to, to learn more about me, just listen to my music. I promise that it will always stay, stay true. So and also like in the song, Wait For Me, uh, you, you, were, you talked about how uh, you should step back and how you talked about social media. So is that how you like, OK, so where do you get your inspirations from and how does a song come to you? <clears throat> Oh, wow. Um, so I am, I am very much into the, how can I, how can I phrase this in a way that's accessible for people of different audiences? So it's interesting that you're interviewing me from India because last night I was listening to a podcast, well, an episode of, of a YouTube lecture with uh, this legendary psychologist and psychiatrist by the name of Stan Groff. And uh, he had really studied altered states of consciousness and why it is that everybody from all different races, backgrounds, religions, cultures, when they go into these altered states, they don't experience like a version of their own reality. They all have stories of like this really similar thing in this really similar place in this experience that's sort of universal to our consciousness and yeah. for me my music is inspired by that place of of emptiness out of which everything originates like you, you look at the western model of the world where they say you know there's a creative power at the center and that that creative power produces everything else so you could yeah. you could say musically that i nate jones am the creative conduit or power source and then all my music spans out from me but yeah. the eastern model of thinking would would say more that the center is nothingness and out of nothingness somethingness is born and so for me when i go into these states of playing the guitar i can play this chord on the guitar and then it creates this blank slate in my mind and i see what comes up a lot of times I'll have some lyrics that I've written down that I thought sound cool or I'm I'm feeling emotional about a particular thing and then I pick up the guitar and and kind of create music to go along with what I'm expressing but I would say most of the time for me I just start picking up the guitar and I I find a feeling that feels authentic to me <clears throat> and once I find that feeling I allow I try to let my 
conscious brain go to the background and whatever words or feelings or phrases come up, even if they don't make sense, I say them and then I write them down and then I rearrange them. And I like with wait for me, I'm glad you brought that song up because I right behind me, I have a, a digital recorder for yeah. uh, making studio tracks and yeah that that song was completely unplanned i stepped up to this thing one day and i remember my phone i was like ah oh, i'm getting so many messages and i was overwhelmed so i i put my phone on airplane mode and i just i started singing they can all wait for me like you know all these people that want me to text them back like i just need yeah. some time and the whole song came about just from that one line and that one idea so i would say that my approach to songwriting is trying to trying to put my conscious mind out of the yeah. way and allow what is coming up in my subconscious to express itself because I could easily, you know, uh, like, like I've done write a book and that's all yeah. my conscious mind saying, this is what I want to say and, and organizing it in a very structured way. Yeah. But the beauty of a song is that it's up for interpretation by whoever's listening to it. And I, so I don't try to, have a concise message saying here's what this song is about i just express and and that line about it my music staying true actually my good friend who designed my website he um that was kind of like his thing to say yeah. that there um because he he knew me deeply and authentically and knew that i was not going to be someone who would uh yeah. you know sell out to like a pop label or or yeah. make music to make money that's that's never yeah. what i've been about so i hope that answered the question yeah absolutely exactly so we know that you'll be playing a song for us today so what what have you what do you have in mind what's what song are you going to play for us today oh man well <clears throat> i have my guitar here and as i was as i was explaining before we uh where we hit record, I have this little device on the back of the guitar. It's called a Tonewood amplifier, and yeah. it's going to give us a natural reverb sound out of the guitar without plugging it in. It basically uses the guitar as a speaker cabinet and sends the signal yeah. back into itself. So here's what it sounds like. What uh, what kind of mood are you in right now, my friend? I I'm happy. I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I yeah. I mean, I just listened to your work cover of "In No Sunshine," and I I've been in that mood since. <laughs> I've just been that's that's the song going in my brain at the moment. So I'm just happy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, okay. Well, that gives me an idea. Um, let me just tune this up real quick, make sure it's all sounding good. Yeah. So I am going to play for you. Give me one second here. I'm going to play for you this song that came to me. And it's a song that I wrote for my friend 
And he actually, I had just taken him to a Buddhist monastery where they do retreats. And he loved it so much that he decided he had been living his life all wrong. And he really wanted to pursue his dreams and travel and move to South America and teach English. And I tell the story in the book, but, you know, he, he ended up putting in his notice at his job and then he his, his he he got a new boss before he actually left the company and the new boss was like hey we want to give you a raise and we want you to stay on you can still move to south america and just work remotely from your computer and so yeah. now he was going to be making us dollars but living in peru and he was just overjoyed ecstatic like oh man this is what i've been praying for and it's kind of like i wrote this song as an homage to him and his courage and commitment to say it's not about the money it's yeah. you know it's uh it's really just about pursuing your dreams and mm -hmm. yeah. everything else will follow so yeah. this song is called take another dime oh yeah okay okay I don't need to take another dime This company is wasting me and my time It's time to wake up on my own Time to forget the things I know Time to let go of places I have outgrown I don't need to make it all worthwhile All that matters now to me is my smile It's time to set out on my own Time to forget the things I know Time to let go of faces I have outgrown Slow and steady wins the race Slow and steady enjoys the pace There's nothing you can find That ain't already inside your mind You don't need to take another dime You don't need to take another dime Oh, that was that was amazing. That was amazing. It, it's one of my favorite songs. I've heard like like seven, eight songs of yours. And among, I mean, New York Man, Fly, Safe As We Can. Uh, oh, this is one of my favorites. It's absolutely brilliant to like listen to it live. And yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so much. That's absolutely. Thank you. So we'll move we come back to the questions now so one of the questions that we have is that as a creator we have a, like a, we have a period of uh, either a writer's block or you have self-doubt or there's there's just days where no, there's no idea clicking to you so how do you deal with those days 
and like what do you do to train your mind to have fewer of those days oh man well first thing i'll say is i'm learning not to resist things and okay. that is a really difficult task in life because we live our life through the lens of this ego this self that we identify with where i consider myself nate jones i consider this to be my body and i consider the ideas that come to me to be my ideas yeah but when you let go of that a little bit and start to loosen your grip it's kind of like uh you know how how can i express this you you're not going to get where you want to go by just continuing to drive around in circles. You you yeah. kind of have to take a break, take a pause. And loosening that grip on, man, I have writer's block or I really need a creative idea, but I just can't seem to get one. When you're when you're focusing so much on creating, you forget that the only way to create is to have consumed you need to have ideas you need to you can't get ideas without experiencing things outside of yourself that that shape you and so if i'm having a particularly tough day whether it's creatively or i'm just having a tough day struggling with emotions or wh whatever it is i try to go out in nature because understanding that clearing our mind is a very valuable activity. Alan Watts, one of my favorite philosophers, um, he would say that someone who talks all the time will eventually run out of things to talk about. Yeah. Because if you're not listening, you know, at least about half the time, then you're just going to keep talking about the same old thing. And so with yeah. through the lens of creativity or whether you're a painter or a writer or a musician, whatever it is, if you don't clear your mind and, and allow space for new things to come into your consciousness, you're just going to end up in the same old creative cycles and, and you're just going to replay the same ideas in different ways. So yeah. um, writer's block is... Uh, it's a very real phenomenon that we experience where we feel like, oh, there's just nothing coming through right now. But there's different approaches to that. There's a really beautiful book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's kind of like a spin yeah. on The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, not about, it's not about battling. It's about allowing and accepting and embracing your inner artist and understanding that you're not going to show up with the best ideas every single day. But as yeah. long as you show up, whatever idea you do have, you can work with it and you can use that to to learn. So yeah. you have to write, sometimes you have to write a bad song in order to write a good song. It, yeah. But if you try yeah. so hard to make that bad song good, you know, then you're just, as the expression in the English goes, you're just trying to polish a turd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and, yeah. and sometimes, sometimes you can. Sometimes you, you a song you don't think is really good, people end up loving it, and you're like, okay, this wasn't one of my favorites, but I still allowed it to come through, so that yeah. someone else could experience it and decide for themselves. Um, yeah. So I think the primary job as an artist is to do what you can to open that channel of communication between 
I'll call it source or spirit, you know, God or yeah. whatever the, the muse is that's giving you a creative inspiration, you have to work on clearing yeah. out your channel. So for me, when I wake up, I do not look at my cell phone. I don't check my email. I wake up, I go drink some water, I stretch and I write here in my journal. And I've been journaling yeah. every day for the last three years, over three years at this wow. point. I have a stack of notebooks. I have about 12 notebooks of my own writing. Yeah. And, you know, you just well, wake up and you journal stream of consciousness and you let, it's like a brain dump. You just let it all out. Yeah. You've done yeah. that. You're like, ah, I can breathe. I'm ready to start my day. And, and just, you know, two, three pages of whatever comes to mind, let it go. This very morning, I, I, had some lyrical ideas while I was writing. So there's a lot of tools that artists can use to cure writer's block. But I think the greatest tool you can have in coming to peace with that is knowing that it's going to happen and not trying to prevent yeah. it from happening, but just understanding yeah. how you can, when it's happening, you can take a step back, give yourself yeah. space. And then when you show up again, you're going to show up with something good because you took a step back. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And like writing down your thoughts is also very liberating and it'll help your mind clear out and give you better, more space to like think about stuff. And yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, so the other question is that like, uh, there are people who are like starting out and they want to pursue a career in music because they're passionate about it. Or they're just people who, are, who have started, but they want to improve. So as, a, as you also teach music, so what are some tips that you would give people who are starting out and also people who want to improve uh, so that they can be better in music? Either if they, it's uh, also for instrument or like for singers. Okay. Um, push yourself. That's my number one tip. Um, playing music is, is an athletic exercise. And people, fundamentally, we know that, but I think it's ignored a lot of the time um, yeah. because it's looked at as a creative thing or a cerebral mental activity. Um, I mean, it, it is, but primarily it's from the heart, you know, like yeah. when you're when you're running a marathon or doing like, say, one of those obstacle course races, you're not, you know, running through it on the verge of exhaustion and going and, and thinking with your logical brain oh yeah i just have to traverse this one last hill and then i'll do this and this you you feel like you want to quit and you're like oh man i just i just yeah. can't or i'm stuck and your heart says no you got this you can do this yeah. you've been through difficult things in your life you can you can conquer this challenge and yeah. you know biologically we get little dopamine we get a reward from completing tasks so when i finish a song i feel like hell yeah i feel like i want to go run a marathon i feel energized <laughs> yeah um yeah but it, understanding that uh that we have great physical power and compared to other animals we have this ability to examine our own behavior and say did i really give that 100 percent? could i have yeah. done better on that one 
you know, was I just being lazy because I have the, the comfort and the luxury of being lazy versus, yeah. you know, someone else or versus an animal who just, they're just putting a hundred percent in because that's how they survive. And yeah. I, I think that ultimately playing music is something that I don't know if this expression will make sense, but it something my dad always said to me is that it's one of those things that tempers your soul. And what I mean by that is you could, you know, have a really tough day or, or be holding space for a friend who's having a really tough day or a really tough time, or you could be going through trouble and, and tragedy in your life. But if you show up with yourself and you pick up your instrument and you say, I'm going to sit down here and give myself this time, give myself permission to create, give myself an opportunity to heal and, and be responsible for that healing. I think that is the deepest, most profound beauty of art, creativity, music is to bring about individual healing through, yeah. through the lens of telling a story. It's like if you're having a bad day, you can go cuddle up on the couch with some hot chocolate and watch a movie and forget all about it because the story draws you in. So yeah. it's really about focus and understanding that if you sit down with your instrument and, and really focus, you can move through whatever discomfort you're feeling. And there's usually a point where it gets really unbearable, especially if you're writing something that's difficult to express or you've been through something tough yeah. that you're trying to transcend, sitting down, focusing, and it's kind of like meditation where you're just like, okay, I know that my mind is going to wander. I know I'm going to want to stop, but that's not a failure. The point of meditation is that you bring your mind back after it wanders. Yeah. And the point of writing a yeah. song or making a painting is that you, you say, all right, I'm distracted, but I'm going to rein it back in. I'm going to really sit here and commit myself to being in this experience and feeling my emotions and yeah. knowing that when you push through that it's just like a really hard workout and then you leave yeah. the gym feeling like oh yeah i didn't think i could do those last couple push-ups but i did it and and then yeah. i was in the studio last week recording some new songs and i was like man i really don't think i can hold this note but i i took the deepest breath i could and was like <gasps> Oh, and then I just I held that yeah. note for like 20 seconds. I was like, oh, yeah, I knew I could do it. And I, and I yeah. did it. So really, I, I think if you're struggling, um, I'm kind of, I, I don't remember exactly the wording of your original question, but I, I know it was about creative people and how to, how to really strive to understand yourself more deeply through your art and i think that the the more authentic your art is the more in touch with yourself you really are the more authentic your art or your music will be and the yeah. greater healing it will bring about in your life or in yeah. the lives of other people and last thing i'll say on this is imagine somebody who is covering up their emotional wounds with art and music like the point is not to cover them up the, it, for some people that might be a coping mechanism and it's what they need at the time but the point 
I think is to uncover those wounds and, and show them and bear them to the world and say, look at me, I'm imperfect and I'm vulnerable and I don't always do a great job, but I keep showing up and I'm here and I'm ready to commit. And, and that's really, really powerful. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're a college student and you're like, damn, I think I picked the wrong major or you're 50 years old and you're like the last 30 years of my life have been a lie. <clears throat> when, when, a, when a song is, is uh, trying to claim something like uh, outside of itself, when, when, when you hear a song that's, that's trying to convince you of something like, yeah, this guy's talking about how much money he has and what a badass he is and all these stuff that he's done and how strong his crew is. Personally, I think that is a way of covering up emotional wounds and saying, look at me, I'm valuable because I made all this money or I've had all this success. But that's not going to actually give other people any value. It's just going to make them want to chase money and material success yeah. rather than sitting with their imperfections and saying, you know what, I'm perfect the way I am. I'm learning. It's a daily, a daily thing here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's my perspective. Yeah, no, it's actually amazing. And that's like, it also brings us uh, and the audience like a new way to think about it. And so, yeah, so this kind of concludes our question segment. So could you like tell us what's uh, going on with your life and what, what are the projects upcoming and how's what's happening? Oh, man. So um, <clears throat> next week, I am so I for listeners around the world. So I live in the United States in a state called Rhode Island, which is uh, just south of Boston. It's between Boston and New York. So yeah. I am flying cross country next week to Los Angeles. From Los Angeles, I'm going to be driving east to Arizona. I'm going uh, with my partner and what we're what we're doing is we're visiting basically the spiritual hotspot epicenter in America, which is Sedona, Arizona. And mm -hmm. out in Sedona, I actually tell a couple uh, stories in my book here about Sedona. And what's so crazy about Sedona is that it's a spot where there are these energy vortexes. And I was like, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Then I'm on the phone with the woman from the natural national parks department, just asking about hikes. And she says, yeah. Oh, make sure you go to the energy vortexes. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought this was like a hippie thing, but you know, this like government agency is telling me about this. I'm like, okay. So uh, apparently there are these places in Sedona where the spiritual energy is is really high and you can just kind of feel it when you're there you feel connected you feel in touch with yourself so we've been there yeah. once before um and i'm going back to i'm playing two shows um a week apart and then during that week i'm going to be doing some hikes out into the desert uh we're going to be going to some ecstatic dance sessions and drum circles and sound healings and really just taking a step back from everything I've yeah. been working on with the book. Um, so that's my next trip that I have planned. And during that time, I'm, I'm, pro I'm going to be bringing a guitar and I'll probably be doing some, some songwriting and some, some, 
some soul cleansing. Uh, after that, I'm coming back and I'm playing a bunch of local shows here in my area. Um, as everyone knows, it's been quite a tough time for musicians to play live performances yeah. the past couple years, um, but things are finally starting to pick back up. And so yeah. I've got a residency at a restaurant every Thursday this winter uh, for local listeners. For me, that's Greg's Restaurant in East Providence, and I will be playing there Thursday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, but after, after that, I think I'm going to be going into sort of like a little hibernation period and incubating. I'm, I'm here in my studio. I'll, I'll turn the camera a little bit and give you a kind yeah. of a, a look Whoa. at the Beat Laboratory here. Oh, it looks amazing. Thank you. Yeah, this is this is where I love to create. And right behind me, I keep this poster of the Beatles uh, yeah. on Abbey Road. Yeah. And uh, last night I was watching a Paul McCartney special, and he was in the studio breaking down old Beatles tapes and discussing creative ideas, and it really, really inspired me. And yeah. um, I'm going to be working on new approaches to my music over the winter. Yeah. And uh, the last thing that I have going on is, is pretty cool. Um, as I mentioned in the book, I have become involved with a place in New Hampshire, which is an mm -hmm. ayahuasca sanctuary. So they're technically a nonprofit church organization, and ayahuasca is their sacrament. So for those who don't yeah. know, ayahuasca is a tea that was originally brewed in the Amazon. And it's a tea that combines two plants. One of the plants contains DMT, which is a chemical neurotransmitter that we have in our brains. It, it's the chemical we release when we're dreaming. And also when someone has a near-death experience and, and yeah. they're like, oh, I saw God and I, I went to heaven. Yeah. That's because of this compound DMT. And it's got another compound in it that makes the DMT orally active. So you drink it and you have this multiple hour vision quest where you kind of get in touch with that, that energy um, that the, the Indian gurus talk about, that formless cosmic space, that void of creative energy. Um, so my girlfriend works there. Um, she does sound healing and she helps people integrate their experiences. And I'm going to be going up there uh, this winter to play some music for some ceremonies. And yeah, yeah it should be a great time. So that's what I got planned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it all sounds amazing. And like even the first time, like the call connected, my eye was caught by the Led Zeppelin poster and the Beatles. <laughs> and that was just amazing. So yeah. So firstly, we wish you all the best for your exploration in your music because that especially it's so interesting to explore and it sounds amazing so yeah so we now come to a segment which is uh, brand new we implemented started adding this in uh, recent episodes and uh, so it's basically we get questions from the audience and i'll just run them by so it's like a rapid fire question so you can we just run run it by very, very quickly. Okay. So first is by Abhishek, and he asks, "What's your favorite band was while you were growing up?" Oh, uh, that's easy. Definitely Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And one thing I'll say, I know it's rapid fire, but the reason yeah, why, so the reason why they're my favorite band is 
Um, when you listen to rock and roll music, you hear a lot of different influences. And Led Zeppelin caught a lot of heat because they kind of stole and lifted material from a lot of blues artists, um, yeah. you know, and, di and didn't credit them. But by listening to Led Zeppelin, I discovered all these other artists and these original bluesmen and Robert Johnson and the early African-American blues and, yeah. and rhythm and blues and soul movement in America. And their music was just so epic to me. And I sought yeah. to understand what went into it. So look into, if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, look into the influences of Led Zeppelin's music and you'll just discover yeah. a treasure trove of beautiful songs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Sid has asked, uh, how do you compose your music and how long does it take? Oh man, some songs take years uh, and some songs get written in, in an hour or 45 mm -hmm. minutes. I think the fastest I've ever written a song was like half an hour. Oh. Um, sometimes they just come and you're in that mindset and they just the whole song lays itself out for you but then yeah. sometimes you have an idea and you get stuck on it you put it on the back burner and then something else inspires you and you you glue two different songs together and you you bridge them with some sort of musical transition and it works yeah. so i think the longest song i've ever taken to write was like two and a half years um of just different wow. ideas coming together so yeah, yeah, it really varies. Yeah. Um, and the, the question yeah. of composition, um, it's easy to, it's, it, I mean, it's fun to, to play chords on the guitar, but a lot of times you fall into the patterns of the shapes that you can do and what's common for you. So I like to yeah. write music on a piano because you can imagine just thinking visually a piano is linear. Yeah. So if you want to change the key or you want to visualize where you need to go, it's very easy to say, once you have a basic understanding, yeah. you can just go from C to D to E to F and, and change everything very easily. And it, it's all laid out for you yeah. in, a, in a line. That's what I like about yeah. writing on the piano. Yeah. No, that uh, that's actually a very good way of thinking. It's pretty good. So the next question is connected. So SBR has asked, what, according to you, makes a song good or bad? Like, is it a tune or is it a beat or is it just what hits your heart? Oh, man. All right. I'm going to steal a quote here, and I'm going to tell you what David Bowie said to John Lennon. And uh, John Lennon was being interviewed, and he told, he told the interviewers that David Bowie told him once, say what you mean, make it rhyme, and put a beat to it. So I think that if your song is heartfelt, if you're truly saying what you mean, a lot of times a song you hear someone and you don't quite know what they're expressing and it's like they're saying what they with almost saying what they want to say mm -hmm. but they're not really saying what they mean they're kind of changing the message so i say throw that out the window say what you truly mean make it yeah. heartfelt as long as a song is from the heart and you're not trying to impress someone or trying to be someone else i think that's what makes a song good because you know rhythms from all around the world resonate differently with different people um as long as a song has a nice rhythm and it is saying what you want to say in your heart it doesn't even have to rhyme the rhyme thing yeah. is really just like for pop 
but I think those are the three components, you know, organize yeah. it, say what you mean and, and give it some kind of beat, some kind of rhythm, some kind of flow that people can move to. And that's yeah. how you're going to write a song that impacts people and makes them yeah. happy or, or not even happiness, but really allows them to get in touch with their true feelings. Yeah. If you're not in touch with your true feelings and you put a song yeah. out there that's in which you're hiding from yourself, it's just going to cause other people to hide in that illusion as well. Yeah, true. true. So Vivek has asked, how did you feel when you were uh, a Grammy ballad artist and how did you celebrate that achievement? <laughs> okay. Um, so when I got the phone call from my agent, I was in my living room and I had just opened my, I would just check my mail and I opened my bill for my utility company to pay my gas and electric bill. And then I got this phone call and uh, this guy, he, he calls me, his name's Al Gomes. He calls me, he says, hey, Nate. So, uh, you know, I just got the, the results back from the Grammys and he was kind of like, <laughs> he didn't sound excited or yeah. exuberant. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, so um, we did it. And I was like, <laughs> we did it? And he said, he said, safe as we can is on the official 2019 ballot for the Grammy Awards. Best rock song and best rock performance. When he said two categories, I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, what? And then he was like, you got a pen handy? I said, yeah. And he, he, he had me write down all the other artists that I was on the ballot with for best rock yeah. song. Um, and he's telling me he's reading off the list and I'm just scribbling. I still have this piece of paper upstairs. It's on the back of my utility bill. Greta Van Fleet, Blink-182, wow. uh, The Black Keys, The Raconteurs, um, who else was it? Toto. Um, uh, there's a couple more artists that I'm forgetting. Uh, just bands that I, Smashing Pumpkins, bands that I had grown up listening to and going, holy, <laughs> holy crap, I cannot believe that I am on mm. the same list as these people. I had yeah. zero expectation of making it to Los Angeles. I had zero expectations of actually winning a Grammy. I was like, I'm an unknown artist. I don't, I don't expect to win this, but just the fact yeah. that I'm, that my name oh, is in the basket that they're going to pull the winner out of. That's absolutely crazy to me. And as soon yeah. as I hopped on the phone, I had so much physical energy. I ran outside and I took a lap around my house. I ran. <laughs> I, was I, was, I couldn't believe it. And eventually yeah. I started coming back down to reality and realizing this does not mean that I'm just going to be a star now. And that's not what I yeah. want. It means that I've, proven myself to myself that I can make yeah. amazing music and that yeah. people will derive value from it and that the most esteemed musical organization in America says that it's worthy of being on the level of like these rock and roll hall of fame artists. That was all I needed yeah. to know. Okay. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's just beautiful. That's so amazing. So Pratik has asked, uh, what's your craziest show that you performed in and what was the experience of that? Oh man, the craziest show I performed in. 
Um, I mean, there, there, there have been a couple. Um, there are shows that I've played that, you know, I was getting paid for and and showing up to the performance. Um, all right, I'll I'll tell this story. There was one show that I played two years ago, and it was at a club called Isadora's in Providence, and it was in a a part of town kind of outside the main downtown area. It was a little sketchy. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And I showed up, right? And I was supposed to play from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. So I showed up about 9.15 at this bar and there's zero people there. I'm just like, oh, man. Like, yeah. and I always feel self-conscious. Like, are they going to want to pay me? Like, there's nobody here. And so I start setting up and normally I just play with an acoustic guitar, but this particular show, mm -hmm. I had decided to bring the kick drum from my drum set. Mm -hmm. So I put the kick drum on stage and I was standing up and I was kicking the kick drum while playing yeah. the guitar. So I started and about five or six people trickled in. Just, I had some like two or three friends showed up and my mom and my aunt were there and it was really dark in the bar. And after I finished a couple songs, I started noticing, wow, there's like more and more people pouring in. And before I knew it, there was like 50 people in this tiny little dive bar and the place was wow. packed wall to wall. There was a costume party that was going on down the street, like some charity benefit. So all these people in these crazy costumes with like steampunk glasses and top hats <laughs> and coats and all these crazy props they were walking in. This one woman walked up to the stage and she she put these like star sunglasses on my eyes and yeah. <laughs> these guys were requesting Nirvana from the corner. I, I played a Nirvana song I had never played before and I crushed it. And then there was this there was this someone in the audience that was making these crazy noises that sounded like like a goat. Honestly, I was like, what is going on? Like <laughs> this guy was just going like. Right in, and he, he was a, a little bit drunk. And then out of nowhere, he comes out of the shadow, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, Shenge? And he's like, hey! And I realized it was this Jamaican guy that I had met like four years before that at a random studio in the city. And he recognized me as soon as he realized who it was. And then so he just started going even crazier and louder. <laughs> yeah. He was going up to my mom and like, hugging my mom and my aunt and and like like he's amazing and yeah. dancing around <laughs> and so what i thought was going to be a total flop with nobody there ended up being this absolutely wild show where all these different characters poured in and then the the tip of the of the the icing on the cake here was this guy came in and he happened to know my dad from like 30 years ago in the in the rock and roll scene downtown he said oh you're mark jones's son no way my name's frank and and i used to play with him and this and that and so it abs i absolutely what what word can i even use here like i just devastated the place <laughs> with with powerful rock and roll vibrations and people could not ignore the power in the room we, we had yeah people that didn't even know each other doing giant dancing circles and that was a, a night for me of saying you know what even if it doesn't look good when it starts just, just keep going i Go know it's awful yeah. to play for a room of nobody but keep going and 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 i trusted the, the process that night and it was just yeah i mean there have been so many crazy shows but that's that's one that uh 
I'll never forget for sure. Yeah. Oh, it, it sounds amazing. Like I wish I was there at that time. And I, I guess when it's unexpected, then it's just amazing. So that's oh, that's yeah. amazing story. So the last question is by Jhansi. So she asked that there are many people who want to choose music and singing as their career, but due to some reason or the other, or some problems, they are not able to do that. So how can you motivate people like them, or like how did you motivate yourself, and who was your support system? Hmm. Well, I have been very fortunate in my life, and I know this is not the case for everyone. Where my mom and my dad have always supported me as a musician. Um, you know, my dad bought me a guitar for Christmas when I was ten. I didn't end up playing for another decade. I I just was frustrated with how difficult it was. Um, yeah. But once I started to really get noticeably better and commit myself to it and i i remember that i told them my sophomore year of college okay this is what i want to do i want to be in a band i want to do music and i remember my dad like he kind of laughed but he wasn't laughing at me like i don't support you he was laughing at yeah. me because because it he knew me and he knew that i was kind of a slacker and and that i didn't really commit to a lot of things um but music so filled me with power and and confidence and love and and eased all this pain i had been feeling in my life that i didn't even have to try to be determined with it it was just something i wanted to do every single day so i would say that if you're forcing it as a musician you know maybe it isn't the right path for you because you shouldn't be forcing your natural creativity yeah. If you're yes. someone who loves it and you want to do it every day, but you don't have that support system, I would say reach out into your community because there's a lot of people whose family or support system don't think that it's a good idea for them to pursue music or art. And they say that, you know, I saw this really hilarious article the other day and there was a graphic, like one of those graphic illustrations that was like, yeah the least essential because it was the whole essential workers thing during COVID. And it was like least essential jobs and like artist was like literally at the bottom of the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, an artist made the very graphic that was depicting exactly, how yeah, yeah, essential yeah. artists were. And I find that hilarious. So you start to see through the the narrative and the illusions in the media yeah. and remind yourself that people are making art every day in every city, in every town, you could go to some mountain uh, wilderness village where there's like 10 people, somebody's making art. You know, yeah. don't don't believe that that you can't be successful or that there's no one around you you can connect with. If, if you don't have a support system built in, then go out into your community and find yeah. uh, find that support system and yeah. read read a book called real artists don't starve it's by a man named jeff goins and maybe you can put this link in the show notes um yeah real artists don't starve it's an excellent book and he talks about the renaissance period back in medieval europe and how uh the church had like ruled everyone's consciousness but during the 14 15 1600s all this art and music started to be made and it was born in, in florence italy and how michelangelo if you were to to uh, 
to extrapolate Michelangelo's net worth today in today's dollars, he was worth about $50 million back in, yeah. in ancient Italy. And he really elevated artists to the degree of someone with social status and not just like a, a worker or an artisan or a craftsman, yeah. someone that was really recognized for adding value to society. So I would say, understand that you add value to society when you create art or music and it's heartfelt and coming from a place of love and then find yep. other people. We have the world at our fingertips in our pockets. And this is a great technological tool that your grandparents and maybe your parents did not have. And, and you don't yep. really have an excuse to say, there's no one out there who wants to support me because as long as you are seeking these opportunities, you will find people who are doing what you're doing and liking it and, and doing something similar. And those people can inspire you to make even yeah. better art music. Yeah. Yeah. There was a quote which said like your best friend could be a stranger and your enemy could be a person closest to you. So, yeah, mm -hmm. Totally fits. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like in a shock that there's a coincidence that in, 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 in uh, an Indian newspaper, the same graphic was there and everyone made fun of it, that artist is the least thing. So the moment you mentioned it, I was like, wow, the, I'm glad people got to see that because that's like such an ironic thing. And it's just something you laugh at. So, so yeah, so we're coming to the end of our episode. So these are the last two questions, which is the recurring segment, which we ask all our guests. And the first question is that, which is the best mistake that you've made, which impacted in a very positive manner? Wow. Um, <laughs> what is the best mistake I've made that impacted me in a positive manner? Oh, that is, that's a difficult question. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I made a, I made a mistake a couple weeks ago, um, and it felt like the worst mistake I had ever made in my life. And it's kind of an ongoing situation, so I'm not going to disclose what actually uh, happened. Yeah. But I would say that. So interestingly, my song "Safe as We Can" that ended up on the Grammy ballot. Um, I was trying to put my guitar in a specific tuning and changing some of the strings. Uh, and I had the wrong note on one of the strings. It, the G it was supposed to be a G and I had it as an F. And I ended up writing the riff that the acoustic guitar at the beginning of Safe As We Can, that, that riff, I really liked it. But then I tried to recreate it and it didn't sound right. And I realized I had the, the note wrong. So that was like kind of my greatest rock and roll moment here of being recognized on this global stage. And it came from an accident of tuning my guitar incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say that one of the greatest mistakes I made in my life, uh, putting my happiness outside myself and seeking approval from friends and from partners and in love relationships or looking for pleasure and fulfillment through sex or drugs or whatever it is. Um, and eventually I have come to realize that 
it wasn't really a mistake. And I don't even like the word mistake because Miles Davis, he said, if you play a wrong note, it's not wrong unless you play another wrong note. So understanding that you can always transition from a place you don't think you're supposed to be and use that as a stepping stone, a launching pad. Um, And there's a great uh, expression in, in Buddhism that I learned at the monastery. It's, they say, is it a, is it a stumbling rock or is it a stepping stone? Are you going to allow this thing in your path to trip you up or to propel you to new heights? Um, I'm having trouble locating or pinpointing a specific mistake. I, I feel that I've made that has completely changed my life. Um, but just, I would say, man, yeah, this is really difficult. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, question, so... last, last thing yeah. I'll say on that. Um, I would say that my greatest mistake was probably looking outside myself for happiness and fulfillment. Um, but it, it ultimately, that mistake has become a lesson. And if I hadn't made that mistake for so long, I wouldn't now see the value of creating that happiness from within and understanding that it's up to me to produce uh, things out of my creative consciousness that can enhance my gratitude, enhance my feeling of personal safety and well-being. And looking outside myself for so long has made it so much more amazing to come into contact and be in touch with myself and my my true power and that is probably what a lot of us fail to realize for a long time in life we we work for so long thinking that we're going to arrive at some place but happiness is a state of continual arrival where someone cut you off in traffic okay no big deal you just got to come back to you come back to the happiness that's within that that was probably my greatest mistake was looking outside myself. Yeah. So then the second part of this is that you already named two books, which uh, were really good. So the question is like, what are some books or movies that positively impacted your life or changed your life? Um, I would say the book that most impacted my life. Well, a lot of Alan Watts books. Um, He's a brilliant philosopher and he's got many lectures on YouTube. Um, But probably the book that most impacted my life, I read while I was in college, I was in a Buddhism class and we were assigned this book called Peace is Every Step. And it's by Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh and he's the one who founded the monastery that I go to. And it's about realizing that there is no way to happiness as if happiness is a city up in the mountains and you have to trek there. It's that happiness is realizing that every single step of your trek is joyous because you are living in a happy way, even when things aren't going right. And I remember living in a house with three other guys in college and we were we were filthy sloppy and our our sink was always full of dirty dishes and we had no dishwasher at this particular place and so 
like basically once a month, our sink would just get so disgustingly full that someone would get fed up and just like tackle it and wash all the dishes. <laughs> and this was going on. And at this exact time, I turned to a section in this book and it was about washing dishes. And what he said was, if you rush through washing your dishes and you try to avoid getting dirty water on your hands and you act like it's gross and you just make the experience miserable and try to get through it as fast as possible, you are going to carry that energy with you through the rest of your day. You're going to yeah. rush through your dinner. You're going to rush through your dessert and you're not going to savor the moment. But if you just let go and say, hey, I'm lucky to have these dishes to eat off of. I'm lucky to have running water in my home. Yeah. I'm I'm lucky to have food. And and realizing that when you're cooking up your food and you're like, ooh, this is so great, knowing that, hey, you're gonna make this pan dirty and then you have to wash it, you have to cleanse, you have to scrub away the dirt, and then you can enjoy your meal again. And it was this beautiful metaphor for life and like oh man i did this i had this party and it was amazing but now i got to clean up all oh, this sucks well can you enjoy the cleaning up as much as you enjoyed the party and and recognize yeah. that they're fundamental to each other like the light in the dark the left and the right yep. you can't have the delicious food without the dirty dishes without the... yep. and that just changed my life man that book pieces every step that is is a beautiful it's it's written in passages so it's not it, it's not this overwhelming thing where you got to read all this Buddhist yeah. stuff. It's like just little segments about how you can apply this to your life. And it's a really great yeah. read. Yeah, that's amazing. And like even in one of your episodes, you said that if you want happiness, just remove the want. And there you have it. Yep, that's amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for coming here, first of all. And thank you for this amazing episode because we got to learn a lot. And then we got to listen to your music live, which is a treat because uh, we can't physically be there. So we're glad to listen to it live on a podcast. And just thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you for having yeah. me. And I hope that it's provided value for your listeners. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to me, feel free, send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, shoot me an email, go uh, go over to Amazon and grab a copy of Permission to Create. You can follow the QR code on the back and it'll take you to my website where you can listen to the songs. And uh, yeah, it, it was a really a blast and I'm happy to be there for anyone. I do offer creative wellness coaching, so that includes diet, fitness, uh, you know, the journaling techniques I've talked about and other creative uh, tools and tricks. But, you know, even beyond that, if if you're someone struggling and you're listening to this and you're like, I just need a friend or I need someone to hear me out, reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, we'll link, uh, we'll put uh, all the links and everything in the description so everyone can access it from there. And we'll also put it on our Instagram so that people can uh, find it more easily. So Great. thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, for thank you, Nate, for being here. And this has absolutely. been absolutely amazing. We've had a blast. So thank you so much. Thank you.